Hello, welcome to As I Say. My name is Bjorn, and together with my co-host, David, <laughs> we interviewed Ray Zayab. Ray is a Canadian explorer and ultra-distance runner, and has put up more than 17,000 kilometers and ongoing throughout his running career and supported and unsupported expeditions crossing some of the world's driest, hottest, coldest deserts in the world. Now, he's also the founder of Impossible to Possible, which is an NGO to educate youth through adventure and running expeditions uh, done in places like Utah to Tunisia to Peru to California to Italy worldwide, taking youth ambassadors to these running expeditions and involving them in projects. And I think it's such a unique way to educate kids. Um, now, I wish I, I would have experienced that one day. Um, now, he's also the founder of or co-founder of Capic One, which is his travel company where he takes groups or individuals, adventurers on travel expeditions all across the world. Now, you may have already heard of him through the documentary Running the Sahara, directed by James Small and narrated by Matt Damon. In the documentary, together with Charlie Engel and Kevin Lynn, the three ran through Senegal, Mauritania, Mali, Niger, Libya, and Egypt, crossing the whole Sahara 7,500 kilometers in 111 days. This was done in an effort to raise awareness of the water crisis in North Africa. Now, since then, he's obviously gone on to run more and do more expeditions and collected Guinness record. He's the first to cross the Atacama Desert, done in 2011, running the full desert, so north to south. And by the way, Atacama Desert is the driest desert on the planet. Now, without further ado, I think Dave is also very excited of this. Uh, what were some of your favorite moments of that doc documentary? Um, there were a lot of good moments. I know you like the dead camel heads in the sand. <laughs> I I really I really enjoyed the live camels. Um, and especially when they ran during Christmas, and you see the pyramids with. Christmas song and the Christmas songs in the background. Now, without further ado, let us introduce you to Ray, and we'll be right back. Hey, David. <laughs> how are you? Good. How are you? Good. We watched together um, your, your documentary. I made a whole family uh, night out of it. Oh, well, that's awesome. Yeah so, yeah, so let me just, I guess on your website, it says challenge, distance, discovery. Um, you're one of Canada's top explorers. Yes. Done a TED Talk. Um, you, you're the founder of Impossible to Possible. And um, I, in the documentary, you start you, one of the impressions that I got that I thought was very interesting was you said, if I were to bet myself, I would bet against me. And you kind of talked about how you were started by being a, a pack a day smoker. And then <laughs> I don't know how you go from that to 
running ultrathons and doing these crazy expeditions with tough environments? Yeah, you know, it's it's a good question, Bjorn. And to be honest with you, like to start with the Sahara, for sure, there was many times on that expedition where I thought, like, I really thought deep down inside, I thought, geez, I, like, I really am not sure if I'm going to make it. Because um, although I had, in the few years leading up to it, competed in many ultra marathons all over the world and did well in, in many of those races, um, still, the Sahara was so long. It was 7,500 kilometers. It was constant running every day. And I just thought, is my body going to last? I had no idea because it was further, more or less, than I'd been on my feet in my entire life, right? So backing it up from there, um, yeah, I got into running uh, about three, four years after I quit a pack-a-day smoking habit, et cetera. So for me, and without trying to over-dramatize it, because, I mean, everybody goes through their thing in life, right? And And I've always said that, difficult things that we go through in life are very relative to us as individuals that you can't really compare your experience uh, with anyone else because it's unique in how it feels to you. You know what I mean? And the way you feel about something and how hard something is, is not necessarily, you know, going to be hard for someone else, but for quitting smoking for me was a very difficult thing. And I was at a period in my life where I was just very unhealthy, drinking way too much, unhealthy mentally, I would say being very, you know, inwardly unhappy and outwardly faking that I was happy. And just I was, you know, without direction, I just was one of those people that, and many of us go through this where, you know, I just was never finishing anything I started. And it was my younger brother, who inspired me through his own passion for the outdoors to give the sort of sports that he was doing a try as a way to change the direction of my life and try something different. And at that time when I made that decision, and it took me like three years to quit smoking. At that time when I was going through that period of my life, the thought of running an ultra marathon, I mean, forget it. I just wasn't even, it wasn't even on my radar. Like, I mean, that wasn't even what I was thinking about. And, and I actually became an avid ice climber with my brother and mountain biker. And I competed on mountain bikes for, a number of years and then that and I did some adventure racing and those were the things where I was sort of really comfortable and it wasn't until I read an article mm. about ultra marathons that I actually decided that I wanted to try something like that and my first running race of of any kind setting aside adventure racing and all this other stuff my first just just running race was a, a race in the Yukon called the Yukon Arctic Ultra and I won it and I never really won anything in my entire life. Even when I was mountain bike racing, and I was, I was pretty good on a mountain bike. I got to say, like, I mean, I raced a lot on a mountain bike, but I never won, a, a, you know, a national cup or any of that jazz, right? So to go and, and be able to compete and, and do something like that, I, I, like, not only mm. did I think I wouldn't be able to finish, but to, 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 you know, finish on top for me was such a, an unusual mix of emotions and feelings and it was really strange because the day that that happened and when I completed that first race I remember thinking that you know it's 100 miles in the Arctic you're pulling all your junk and you know I you know I totally defied my own Mm. expectations of myself and that it really wasn't it really wasn't about me 
as an individual, all of a sudden, oh, I just discovered I'm really good at running. It was like, there's something very like general in this that applies to all humans. And, I, and it was very clear to me on that day, that was 2004, in February 2004, that I knew in that moment that human beings in general go through periods in their lives when they totally underestimate what they're capable of physically, mentally, and emotionally. And, I, and it was very clear to me in that moment that that was something that I had sort of witnessed for myself and experienced for myself in my own terms, relative to me, all that jazz. And I just decided that, you know mm. what, I think I want to do this the rest of my life. And that's just kind of how things started, you know? Yeah. And now you have um, an archive full of expeditions. I mean, to the normal, disconnected, westernized mind, it's just the amount of mileage. Uh, it's just it's just so mind mind boggling. And um, and uh, yeah, so it's just incredible how how far you can push yourself. Well, when you get to be my age, I'm 51. By the, you know, I've been doing this now for 20 years. You do start to accumulate a lot of mileage over the years, right? Right. So, I mean, you know, it just kind of adds up after a while. And it's funny, you know, I've always done projects and expeditions since running the Sahara, by the way. Since running the Sahara expedition, and we completed that in 2007, I decided that that was going to be my focus, was long expeditions, both supported, like the, like the Sahara was, and unsupported, like... Mm. going to the South Pole or doing any of the Arctic projects that I that I do where you actually have to pull all your own stuff. Yeah. Um I just decided that I wanted to do expeditions. That it wasn't mm. going to be about really like competing. I wanted to be out there, I guess competing against myself, just seeing if I could do it and discovering these places that, you know, few people had been, at least recently, and um you know, do them in a way that I could share them with schools, these, these experiences that I was having and also um, challenge myself in a way that I wasn't sure I'd be able to complete it. Right. And so, you know, I just, that became my passion. So I never sort of like started thinking, okay, well, if I do this, that'll be another 2000 kilometers. If I do this, it'll be another, I just kind of like, okay, I want to cross the Gobi desert. It's over 2000 kilometers. I guess that's what it's going to take. You know what I mean? And that just mm -hmm. kind of was the mindset. And then you, And then, you know, you start to look back after all these years, you're like, oh, boy, starting to add up. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. And, and uh, when you when you uh, start and you embark on these uh, adventures, um, do you ever, do you, do you think of the miles ahead of you with dry heat? For example, the Atacama Desert is, is the driest desert on, on the earth. And... Do you kind of, I mean, you have probably spectacular views, but do you, are you aware of that or are you more aware of the miles that are still ahead of you? No, no, I would say I'm definitely aware. Like when I crossed the Atacama, for example, I crossed it in the middle of summer and I purposely wanted to cross that desert at the hottest time of year. And I, I went from north to south, the longest way. And I wanted to do it so that I could experience as much of the desert as possible in the most extreme of its environment. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I knew the sky would look a certain way as the sun was setting in a super hot atmosphere or whatever you want to say, you know, you know, being able to uh, experience something like um, the Canadian Arctic in the middle of winter, like on this past January expedition that I did being alone out there and, 
you know, it, it, there's barely any daylight, right? Because it's, it's, it's January. So the sun only comes up a little bit and then it goes back down again. And to be able to experience that sky at like minus 65 with the wind, right? Is an extraordinary thing when there's ice crystals hanging in the air. So I love that concept of being able to experience these places in their extreme. Same goes for Death Valley. I've done two projects in Death Valley with my buddy, Will Laughlin. We did a north to south off-road in 2011 and west to east off-road last year over the two mountain ranges, over the Panama Mountain Range and the Ambergosa. And that was in like July and August expeditions. So, mm. I mean, it's the hottest place on earth, right? But there's something just so incredible about that place at that time of year. So that's my deal. You know, I love, I love being there at that time. And I, I guess that's also kind of like your, the rewards that you, that you reap from, from all of this, right? Looking back, it's the, uh, I guess, is it the, the human connections you made or the, the, the pictures you maybe have now for the rest of your life uh, with spectacular views? Um, it, Cause it's not that you don't get anything monetary off of this, you know? Well, so, so it's my living. It's what I do for my living, right? Do I, I do expeditions. And so basically the way it works for me from a career perspective, and it's just something, again, that was never planned. It just kind of like happened was, um, or is, uh, so I, I do these expeditions and I, and I'm very, uh, grateful for the support that I have from my various partners and sponsors. And so that I do these expeditions and I use it as a way to raise additional funding for my foundation called Impossible to Possible, where I take kids on expeditions around the world. And those expeditions are free of charge. And I'm a volunteer in that organization. So it's kind of like those two things fuel each other. And it's like, you know, one's kind of like a job, the other's a passion. And then how I take care of my family, like be able to support my family. Trust me, it's not a business to get rich in. Okay. That's not happening anytime <laughs> soon. But I mean, I may, I, you know, I do a lot of corporate speaking for fortune 100 companies all over the world. And, um, you know, I, I, I've written a couple of books and stuff like that. So early on, I, I, you know, it's been many, many years since I wrote a book. So I have another one coming out. And so, you know, these are the sorts of things I do to, to take care of my, my family and make sure that I can keep food on the table. Right. right? I mean, it's uh, it's just uh, f for example, stuff you were in the Samantha Gash podcast, and um, yeah, and she she and Colin O'Brady kind of like pioneered this calendar club challenge that I took part in, and my family, you know, saw me running, running in circles just to get the miles in, and asked me, "What are you getting out of this?" And to me, it was just uh, like you said in the beginning, was you know pushing my own limits. I've never ran. I've done marathon maybe two years ago, but the calendar club kind of taught me what you're uh, able to do. And um, I guess that's, do you think that's something how that kind of like applied to you early on as well? Yeah, perhaps. I mean, I, you know, when I, when I started doing, for me, I was learning things about myself that were very personal. You have to remember when I was racing in ultras, and I was going around the world and I was picking ultras that were very adventure based because mm -hmm. I come from in the short period of time from, you know, when I was smoking to racing bikes to um, adventure racing, you know, that concept of going and doing things um, that were more adventurous were really appealing to me. And so I was picking races that were in far off parts of the world, Libya, Niger, 
uh, in the Amazon in Brazil, um, these sorts of things. And those were the races I was picking. So, you know, and this was also a time that was pre-social media, right? So you weren't necessarily influenced by what you were seeing mm. online. You're, you're, the people that were, I was influenced by uh, that I was reading about were doing things like it would have been like, you know, reading about Amundsen or, you know, something like that, right? Where, uh, or my friend, uh, you know, Richard Weber, who's, you know, arguably one of the greatest polar explorers that ever lived. And hearing their stories of adventure and just trying to capture a little bit of that. And then through those crazy adventures, like being in Brazil, mm. you know, in the middle of the jungle, running this race, getting parasites, uh, you know, overcoming fears and realizing that I could overcome a tremendous amount of fear. Like, I mean, there's, there's, dude, there's stuff all over that jungle that wants to get you. Right. And <laughs> I believe, you it, know, yeah. it, and so it, um, it taught me things about myself that really truly were about myself. If, if I, hmm. there's, it's very hard to, to put it any other way. No one really, it didn't really matter to anyone that I was out there. I was doing these things for me. I wasn't posting hmm. about it because there was no posting. I wasn't, you know what I mean? Like I was out right. there just doing this because I wanted to do it. And realistically, no one was ever going to hear about it other than the people that I was in the race with. Right. And my family and my yeah. close friends and maybe the people that I would email in those days. But I mean, it was, it was a different sort of, so for, so to ask, you know, what was my, my head, my perspective on things was much different because of the mm. world that we live in as well. Right. And yeah. um, not to say that that's any different now and nor would it be any different for anybody else that's perhaps starting out now. We all do mm -hmm. the things we want to do because we genuinely want to do them. Not because um, of, of anything else. What I'm trying, what I am saying is that I didn't, I, you know, you, you went into your project with an idea of what could happen, right? I might, maybe I'm going to, something extraordinary is going to come from this, right? Right, yes. And yeah. for me, it was like, I just want to see if I can do this shit, you know? And then all <laughs> of a sudden, you know, I, I'm learning something amazing. And then, yes, after time, I grew the wisdom that you had on day one it took me two or three of these big races to figure out oh wait a sec maybe I'm, there's going to be some real mega personal growth from all this right do you know what i'm saying uh -huh. although i had perspective yeah. after the first race as i mentioned before but from a personal perspective of what is possible you know I, there just wasn't a lot of information out there about that kind of stuff you know what i mean um mm. uh, of of people encouraging you to reach out and find your dreams. It was there. Maybe I just didn't know where to look in those days. But now you can find those resources quite easily, be inspired by it. And then an opportunity comes along and you're like, hey, this is my chance. You know, and that's, right. that's the awesomeness of today's world. You know? Yeah. Yeah, completely. And with your, your children now, do your children look at you um, like they want to follow your footsteps now or do they do they think you're crazy <laughs> well you know like my wife my wife's a really uh great ultra runner um you know she she finished second at, at moab last year and she she does these races and she only has time to train for one race per year because she's full-time uh, working as a environmental engineer and as a uh, a gender uh equity and uh, uh 
she's a specialist. And so she's a consultant. So she's super busy with work. Right. And so, but she's not hanging her medals, finisher medals on the wall. I, you know, I have a Guinness record. I got all these awards. I don't even know. And you know what? They're all with not any disrespect, but they're all tucked away into a filing cabinet. We don't have them Mm. hanging on walls in our houses because I want my girls to set their own goals and their own dreams uh, and not try to measure success against what their mom has done or what I do for a living, but rather just be passionate about the mm. outdoors. And so they're 12 and nine when they were little, I'm talking like, dude, they couldn't even walk. We'd have them in the backpack hiking up on the trails and I'd take them out of the backpack and I'd let them crawl around the, you know, whoever was not walking, you know, at the, at the time it was in the pack. And, uh, they'd fall down on the rocks and they'd get up again and they'd fall down and that's how they started. By the time they were three, they were Nordic mm. skiing in the winter. You know, um, now they're both expert state skiers, Nordic skiers, and um, they both uh, are, are incredible trail runners. We don't pressure mm. them. We let them make, you know, we do, we do some pretty big runs with them with a lot of elevation, but it's up to them. It's not about grooming them to be ultra racers. I could care less if they ever want to do a trail race. I just want them to hopefully find passion in the outdoors and love being out there. Now, the, the family trips are getting more and more epic. We were up in Gross Morn National Park, which is in western mm-hmm. Newfoundland, hiking and, and camping. This was uh, – and trail running. This was – gosh, Annika was six at the time, so it would be three right. years ago. And now, um, you know, we're planning some pretty epic trips. With COVID this year, we're, you know, we're, sort, we're, we're going to stay mm-hmm. in Quebec – but there's some epicness in Quebec to do. And then we have some big trips planned in the future as a family. And yeah, those are starting to get into expedition zone a little bit, if you know what I'm saying. So naturally and organically, if they move that way and they want to do, you know, exploration professionally, I'm all for it. But if they're like, nah, I want to be a, a, you know, a, uh, whatever it is they want to be, I want to own an ice cream shop and I want to do this stuff on the weekend. I'm cool with that. You know what I mean? Like it's whatever they yeah, want. I mean, to do. you live in in Canada. That's um, I we've only been in Toronto, but uh, it's such a adventure. I saw you did I think at expeditions or uh, runnings in all thirteen provinces of Canada. Yes, that was many. That was many years ago, and that was a project. More, you know, it's funny, you know, dude. And you know, I have this sort of like thing where like I've done seventeen thousand over seventeen thousand k right in deserts. I don't even add those kilometers in. From that project because that was mostly on road that project and and uh, i did it with some friends and it was a uh, both an awareness builder and a, fu- uh, a fundraiser but even more crazy um in 2017 we did a youth expedition with impossible to possible where we brought four i think it was four youth ambassadors maybe it was five Jeez, i can't remember anyhow they came from different parts of the world they'd never been to canada and we took them to all 13 provinces and territories in 13 days. And they learned something cultural about Canada. Mm. They, they ran and, or did an activity that was very Canadian, physical activity. So it was like, that was epic and logistically super complicated to pull off. But yeah, I've, I've, I've obviously, I've been all over Canada. Love, it's, I love this country. I'm a very proud, proud, proud Canadian. Toronto's great. You've been to you know, mm. our largest city in Canada, but you got to come, you got to come east and see Quebec, you got to go west and see BC. I mean, there's a lot of Canada still for you to see, you know? Oh, for sure. 
Yeah, we were also in Ottawa um, just for immigration reasons, but it was during, I think, February, and we freezed our limbs off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny. You know, I can, it's, it, you know, I've said when we went to the South Pole, there was days when we were trekking to the South Pole that it was the same temperature in my backyard in, in Chelsea, Quebec wow. in the winter. It's so funny how that is, but anyhow, you know, it gets cold. It can get really cold here. But it can also get very hot. We've just been in the heat wave, right? And oh, we were yeah. having Humidex uh, values in the 40s. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about um, impossible to possible, I2P, because it's such a unique way to education. And me, I always struggled kind of with the regular education system and would love to have seen something like seeing older older uh kids run an adventure in peru and you know have it kind of like and then having a zoom session in my classroom or have david experience that i was wondering how how you choose your expeditions and what the students that participate what do they kind of take away from these expeditions well, the, you know, the youth uh, expeditions are, the, the locations are, are chosen by um, our executive director, myself, a couple other folks in the organization, and we pick them based on feedback from, that we've had from teachers over the years or whatever, right? But also places that either I've been on expedition before, and so I know some, like, key areas that would be amazing. Um like, for example, the Atacama Desert, I did the, the first crossing mm. of it, north to south, on foot. And so basically, I saw the whole desert, right? Not the whole every square uh, kilometer, but in a straight line, I had eyeballs on the whole desert. And so we were able to carve out a chunk of that desert where we said, you know what? This is a perfect location someday for a youth expedition with Impossible Impossible. And it's exactly what we did. We took the youth there. So, you know, choosing the locations... Um, it's not that complicated because there's so many amazing places in the world. Now, choosing youth ambassadors, um, we you know we'll do a, a every now and then on on Facebook because we're all volunteers. We're not on there all the time with Impossible Possible, but when they choose a location, when they're ready to go, uh, we make an announcement months in advance, and it's only open for like three weeks. The application process we get flooded with applications, then we pick youth ambassadors. So this year, the youth expedition was supposed to go to the, we're going to mm-hmm. focus on U.S. national parks this year. And we're supposed to go to the San Jacinto Mountain Range in California, and then a second youth expedition to another national park in California. And unfortunately, that was in May, right? Well, with COVID, everything's been in lockdown, and we're not even sure that September will happen uh, because of lockdown. So we're, you know, our youth ambassadors now, they, they will be going next year, potentially, mm-hmm. on, on a youth expedition. So you know, it's it, in the world we live in right now. It's it's getting a little bit more complicated, obviously, because we can't travel, right? So it, yeah, I was going to ask you too, as a pandemic, how that affected affected uh, you and your uh, your planning. Are there any, I guess, expeditions that are on your bucket list? Oh yeah, yeah. I had a I had a major expedition planned for this fall, mm-hmm. and it's been postponed a minimum of one year because of COVID. Um, I have obviously the youth expeditions, but as well, I have a guiding uh, company called Capric One and, and I take clients, you know, people of from all over the world on expeditions of their own. 
that are difficult and grueling and we spend a week or two in an amazing place and you know we had one two three trips planned for this fall and all of them i believe at this point are being postponed to 2021 so yes there's been a lot of postponing and you know my my obviously my work has come to a standstill but at the same time you know the thing and i've been saying this the thing that people have been fearing with covid so much is the uncertainty there's so many elements of uncertainty around it like you know you read the news and every day it changes you know how you can catch it i mean the 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 way in which it's spread right um who's more susceptible who isn't you know and then the other you know uh uncertainties are you gonna lose your job can my kids ever go back to school all these sorts of things that can really become overwhelming and i decided early on that although everything like was completely opposite for me from where it was last year that i could stress about it immensely or I cannot stress about it. And I have tremendous belief in human spirit. And I just, you know, I know things are all going to work out. They'll just, it'll all work out eventually. And so I make myself busy doing other things that are related to my mm. work that I didn't have time oh, yeah. for before. Um, uh, did, did you ever have any, I mean, running this much and having experienced so many expeditions, did you ever have a run into a near death situation? Yeah. I mean, I've had that happen. You know, it's, 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 you know, I, I broke through some ice in the Arctic one time, you know, on a river. Uh, and, you know, I made a mistake. I trusted the ice and I was certain that it was safe and I was testing yeah. it. And anyhow, it's a longer story. Oh, okay. For maybe another, for another podcast that we can do. But, uh, you know, to suffice to say that um, it was both the worst and best thing that ever happened to me because it, you know, it, it taught me not to take things for granted. I've been doing expeditions for years and, and, and cold weather expeditions for years and things had gone smoothly even in the worst storms and conditions things that always worked themselves out and this was a reminder hey don't even for a second take anything for granted but also it reminded me you know as you would call it a near-death experience it reminded me not to take for granted the things in my life that you know i had and so yeah dude heavy stuff but anyhow it, it, it uh these things happen and I plan, dude, I plan my expeditions. You can't believe it. I, I spend so much mm. time mapping and planning these expeditions. And sometimes, sometimes things go great. And sometimes <laughs> you don't get to complete. And, you know, Kamchatka expedition is one that a huge goal of mine that I was going to cross it west to east unsupported Stefano Gregoretti from Italy. And I teamed up to do it. Uh, he's an amazing athlete. And, um, we worked so well together on day 19 we had to pull the plug because all these rivers systems had melted early and opened up and it just became not only dangerous for us dangerous for anyone that would have to come rescue us in these mountains in the middle of i mean literally you're so remote and so to be so close to our finish like 150 kilometers or so give or give or take and but that's the way it goes you're not you're not like if you're not now and then things aren't working out the way you want them. So you're not cranking mm-hmm. it hard enough, you know, like you just, you give it everything you got, you plan like crazy, you give it everything you got. And then you, uh, you just have to see where things go. Right. You know, if for listeners who want to learn more about you, you have a website as well. Uh, and um, you have, 
you know, where you blog and you write every, everything down and um, you have some really cool uh, stories there. And I uh, spend hours reading through them. How, how can people reach you? Well, the best, you know what? I always encourage people nowadays, you know, it, it used to be just Facebook, right? So on Facebook, I have a public page. There's a little blue check beside my name. So don't look up my private page. I'm never on it. I don't even check it. I don't check the messages. But I do check my mm. my public page and the messages there, the direct messages there. I check them every day. So that's a good spot. Instagram, obviously, it's sort of a newer thing for me in the last few years. But anyhow, I'm using it. It's great. So I'm there. I You'll know it's me. I have a little blue check beside my name. And then I'm on the other platforms as well, LinkedIn, Twitter. And on my website, my contact information is on my website. Reach out, raiseahab.com. Perfect. And um, one one last thing at the end of every episode. So the podcast is called As I Say, and I teach listeners a German saying. I uh, would love to learn a, maybe a Canadian saying that you have. The German saying I have, it, it translates to uh, picking up your legs um, by your hands. And that means... Um, going going faster picking it up picking up the pace so i thought that was a uh, relatable to uh to who you are and what you do um i was wondering if there's a a canadian saying the canadian saying i don't you know my wife has got tons she's from a place called newfoundland okay and they have lots of really great sayings and uh you know <laughs> one of the ones that always makes me laugh when they say it is if, if someone's getting, you know, they're getting hot under the collar and they're starting to get angry, you say to them, don't get all up in your wool. Don't get all up in your wool. So yeah. if someone's angry. Yeah, they're getting all angry and hot-headed. That's the saying. Don't get all up in your wool. That's what she says. All right. So, you know, right. and, and, but yeah, it's, it, yeah, anyhow, there you go. That's the best I can do for you. No, that one's great. All um, right. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to interview me today. No, thank you for giving us your time and, um, you know, stay safe. You know, I would love to, I could talk hours for more, but I, I wouldn't I want to let you go. <laughs> no, well, listen, we'll, we'll do this again and um, enjoy the rest of your summer. And uh, we'll uh, let me know when you post this. All right. All right. I okay. will. Thank you. Catch you later, guys. Bye. Now let's switch back to German, all right? Now, yeah, what what did you guys think? Uh, or David, what did you think of uh, Ray? What was kind of like one of the first impressions you... He's very adventurous, very interesting guy. Yeah. On impossibletopossible.com, there are videos of how these students, you know, a little bit older than you, a little bit younger than me, run do these running expeditions and i mean i do like half marathons marathons and these really cool adventures and then zoom conference like to a classroom maybe you know in this case probably in canada and like, you could then ask some questions of what it's like there and that would be so much cooler i think or so much more engaging than i don't know just watching youtube videos or I mean, it's just, it's, it's such a great, I, I'm a, I'm a fanboy now. Uh, so anyways, again, Ray, thank you so much. Thank you for coming on to the podcast and giving us your time. And I look forward to possibly speaking to you again. And 
Um, all right, but David, we are right now in an empty, well, semi-empty room, but the entire house is moved out over the past day. It's crazy. We had mover guys coming, and uh, you guys are moving back to Germany, and everything today was, yesterday they packed everything, today they put everything in boxes, uh, and now you are going to go with the family. Without me, you're going to leave me here in Georgia, in Atlanta, during a human rights crisis and a pandemic to go to your little safe Germany, right? And then you're like, oh, it's fine. He'll come to during Christmas. Is that your thought process? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. It's probably going to happen. It probably definitely is, but still. Um, no, I'm happy for you. <laughs> I'm happy for you. Uh, it's just crazy to see how, you know, this entire truck, these guys come in, pack everything, box it, take it, and then your house is empty. Um, but... Yeah, we spent some quality time in the U.S. over eight years with Buffalo, Philadelphia, now Atlanta. And uh, yeah, it's a crazy time. And moving a farm is definitely a lot of work. And it's stressful, but I think um, it's really good for you as well if you go back to Germany. And then everyone's probably going to think you're super cool because you speak German, but you spent most of your time in the U.S., um, so I think they're gonna be, the girls are gonna, I think they're, they're going to like you. That's great. <laughs> German girls. Yeah, why not? <laughs> what, do you think, they're not like The Office, okay? I know you love The Office and you watch Dwight Schrute, but then they're not like Angela. I think they might be. <laughs> really? <laughs> All right, this is great. What's your okay? What are your impressions of what you think it's gonna be like in at the school, at your new school? White. Yep, definitely not very diverse. Uggs. Uggs. Yes, they were like Uggs. Okay, what else? Do they have a lot of Starbucks? They do have Starbucks. Yeah. They're not gonna wear those like vineyard vine shirts. Those are. Oh yeah, vineyard vines. Yeah, yeah that's those are. Yeah, they. I don't like them at all. They make me angry. Um, and like metal cup. What do you think? Like, cause they have, they don't necessarily have recess, but they have like lunch breaks and everyone is out. What do you think? Do you think it's gonna be like here in the U.S. where you have like little groups or everything is a little bit more? I don't know. Diverse. I I remember my my time was like, there's like a smoker groups smoking cigarettes. <laughs> There's a girl group, then there's gamer guys, and everyone kind of like in between. And I actually thought, I mean, everyone knows I mean, it was super cool. And like, I, I wanted to just belong to that group. But looking back, I was like, they're not that cool. <laughs> they really weren't. <laughs> um, so, but, you know, I, I'm so excited. And I'm going to send you a microphone and we're going to probably ha have a different, um, you're going, we're going to have a Zoom meeting now. Yeah, have our conversations recorded and posted. So it's going to be a little bit different than what we have right now. We still want to do interviews. Um, so we're going to have to find a happy medium. But thank you for, if you made it, if you made it this far, thank you for listening. And please follow us on Instagram, maybe, as I say, pod. And um, on Spotify, we post. And we're also on Anchor. And if you ever want to send us feedback through a voice message, why not? use the anchor app and send us a voice message and say hey 
this is good, this is bad, improve it. And like, yep, maybe. Or, no, we'll definitely improve it. Let us know what you think. Maybe even subscribe. David, tell them to subscribe. Uh, they don't listen to me. Subscribe. There you go. Now it's a definite. Anyway, um, next time we'll be back with David in Germany. And me in Atlanta. Alright. I hope he doesn't. If he doesn't. Okay. I like it,